Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> Amin, Amin. As we usually start um, for the past several weeks, we've been starting with dua for uh, Ahl Gaza and the people of Palestine. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to give them faraj and ease and to replace this hardship um, with that which is better for them and for the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma Rabbana ina nasaluka bi asmaika al-husna wa sifatika al-ulya anta fuka al-karba an ikhwanina al-mustadafina fi Gaza wa fi Palestine. اللهم فك عنهم كربهم اللهم فك عنهم ضائقتهم اللهم تقبل شهداءهم اللهم تقبل شهداءهم اللهم تقبل شهداءهم اللهم احقن دماءهم اللهم رد عنهم عدوان المعتدين وظلم الظالمين وكيد الكائدين ومكر الماكرين اللهم ربنا إنا نسألك بأسمائك الحسنى وصفاتك العليا أن تمكن لهم وأن تمكن لأمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ردنا إلى دينك مردا جميلا ولأمورنا خيارنا ولا تولأمورنا شرارنا ولا تسلط علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك ولا يرحمنا اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين والمسلمات في كل مكان يا رب العالمين اللهم ربنا إنا نسألك أن 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 أن, أن إنا نسألك يا ربنا أن أن تهلك الظالمين والمجرمين والمعتدين اللهم عليك من طغى في البلاد فأكثر فيها الفساد اللهم صب عليهم صوت عذاب اللهم اكفناهم بما شئت وكيف شئت يا رب العالمين اللهم اهزمهم وزلزلهم اللهم ردهم على أعقابهم خائبين خاسئين خزايا نادمين يا رب العالمين we call upon you, we pray to you, we beseech you, we ask you by your names and attributes to better us and to better the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to give victory to our brothers and sisters in Gaza. We ask you, Allah, to relieve them of the difficulty that has befallen them, to accept their shuhada. We ask you, Allah, to accept their shuhada and to bring spiritual calm to the hearts of every person in Gaza and Palestine who's feeling pain and worry and grief. We ask you, Allah, to give them from your great bounties. We ask you, Allah, to heal them from every illness and ailment. And we ask you, Allah, to rid the land of the oppressors. We ask you to rid the land of the oppressors and to give charge of our affairs to the best of us, not the worst of us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask you, Allah, that you turn away the aggression of the aggressors and that you guide us to deal with the situations in our life and to help us navigate through the difficulties of our times. Help us be agents for change. Oh Allah, we ask you to guide us to be agents for change. Guide us to the, uh, the, the path to change that will be most fulfilling and that will guide us to the path of your pleasure and to the path of Jannah, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, we ask you to make the best of our days, the last of our days, the best of our actions, the last of our actions. And the best of all days, the day we meet you and you're pleased with us. Ya Rabbil Alameen, Ameen, Ameen. Wa akhir da'an, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Amma ba'd, jazakumullah khair for attending um, for today's session um, uh, from the Friday Forum. As we continue to reflect on what's happening in Gaza and in Palestine and what's happening around the world. And we continue to draw, to draw lessons from it, seeking to find a pathway to a better circumstance for the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, today, the topic that we have is a community roadmap for change. And the discussion is going to be in light of what we see and what's happening on the ground over there and, uh, and elsewhere, inshallah ta'ala. But before we get started, uh, I'm going to pass it over to Akhi uh, Ibrahim.
to share some announcements and then we'll do the framing like we usually do and then we'll have a conversation. Today I'm honored to have uh, the president of ICPC with me, uh, Ibrahim Fahmi, uh, to share with us some of the practical aspects of what's happening within our community and around, inshallah. So inshallah, I'm going to pass it over to Ibrahim for the announcements and then we'll get started, inshallah. Barakallahu feek, Shaykhna. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Barakallahu feekum all for joining us tonight. Um, as always, we have the Slido link. Um, so if you have any questions as Sheikh or, or Ibrahim are speaking, go ahead and put those questions down. Or if you see anything that intrigues you and you like it, you can press like and it'll go up to the top. Um, we're trying our best to maintain a forum space, you know, as part of the Friday forum. Last week, alhamdulillah, it was really fun. It was enjoyable. Everyone was getting into it. Um, it was very interactive and we had some back and forth um, up here and, and with the people um, sitting and with all of you and that's what we want here that's what we're welcoming um, everyone is free to say their mind and to speak their mind and, and say what they're thinking you don't have to put a comment if you have a question towards the end when we start getting into questions go ahead raise your hand um, and we'll pick on you and we'll, we'll keep going inshallah please keep your questions short and to the point just so we you know keep sake of time and so that everyone understands what the question is now, just moving on to some announcements. As you know, we have our recurring classes that happen weekly. Um, we have the Basics of Islam course, which just started up again. Uh, we have that now on Sundays at 12.30 p.m. here at ICPC Clifton. We have our Sira, um, part one of the Sira, which is the Meccan period, also happening here at ICPC Clifton. That, ha that goes on on Sundays at 7 p.m. And then the last class that we have ongoing is our Tuesdays, 8 p.m. class, Fiqh of Salah. Now, the most, uh, perhaps the most important you know, event that's going to be happening that we've been building up will be happening on Thanksgiving weekend, on Sunday of Thanksgiving. The, the sign is up here, it's on WhatsApp, it's on Facebook, it's on social media. It's the Fiqh 101. What is Fiqh? What is jurisprudence? Where do these rules come from? Um, where, where do we learn about the madahib, the differences of opinions? How do we start to learn more? How do we become students of Islam? This is a very, very important class for anyone interested in learning more about the deen and taking it a step further and being a student of knowledge. Um, it's only $20 to register. That comes with lunch and that comes with the book. So the book itself is probably more expensive than the $20. It's just so you can cover some of that. Bidnillah. Um, um, it'll be like a full day thing. It'll go on, inshallah, Sunday from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. So feel free to come out, bring your siblings, bring your friends. Um, that'll be happening Thanksgiving weekend. That's next, that's next week, right? Is that next week? Yeah, that's next Sunday, inshallah. Um, so you can go ahead and, and either click this link over here or, or on, uh, on WhatsApp or social media. You can find the link and register. On the website, you can register. Um, and with that, tawadal shaykhna. Jazakallah khair. Barakallah feekum. Inshallah, we'll get started now. Um, uh, you know, earlier today uh, in the khutbah, we began reflecting on um, what are practical... And actually, we've been sort of through the different khutbah and classes. We've been addressing the idea of, all right, well, how is what's happening in Gaza supposed to change me as a person? Uh, how am I supposed to operate differently after I've seen... Um, such amazing scenes. Of course, there's been a lot of traumatic and tragic scenes. But beyond the trauma and beyond the tragedy, you see something extremely powerful in these people in Gaza. And that's their willpower, um, the, the strength, the spiritual grit that they have. Uh, you know, we've seen so many different types of videos, uh, either, to, you know, showing us the children's reaction to the trauma or the parents' reaction to the trauma. Uh, people dealing with uh, unimaginable loss, uh, people trying to pull people from the ground, um, people in hospitals, and just, just all together, you know, I 
firmly believe that there's more in what's happening in Gaza that's inspirational than that's disheartening. And of course, it all just depends on how you choose to look at it. Uh, and you know, this is one of the things that I started the khutbah off with, which is there is what we call alam al-shahada. That's the viewed realm. That's what we could see with our eyes. With our, what we see with our eyes is there's the great disproportion. You know, you have a group of people crying over, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a much less loss of life that they've experienced. And they're reacting by that by killing more than 10 times the amount. And, you know, pillaging and destroying Gaza. Destroying most of the infrastructure in Gaza. To decimating that land in unimaginable ways. Like, it's as though it's a scene from a movie. And yet you find such stubbornness in their ways. Such insistence on doing what they're doing. So, you know, there's just so much to reflect on with all of this in mind. And, you know, in Alam al-Shahada, we see that the people with the bigger militaries, the stronger firepower, the stronger forces at their sides, the alliances, it seems like overwhelming. But when you look in Alam al-Haqiqa, the realm of true reality, you find that the people of Gaza with their nufus and their spiritual grit and their physical strength, or their emotional strength and spiritual strength, were able to outdo all of that and teach people from around the world lessons on how to truly be patient and endure. Now, when we take this to heart and bring this back home, this needs to change the way we choose to operate. How am I going to continue to make decisions on a personal level? What really matters? My priorities need to shift, right? What really matters? What makes a difference to me as a person and to us as a community? What really makes a difference? Right? Now, um, this subject also has to do with what we were talking about last time. Yani, you know, here's, look, the thing with uh, very contentious realities is that it triggers a whole lot of emotion. And we as a community need to have the fortitude and strength to direct these emotions in constructive ways. Right? And, and this is part of the, what we're going to be discussing today. How can I pick up what's happening in Gaza? What's been happening to the Muslim world? And how can I find through that a pathway to real change? Even if it's just on a personal level, I can't change the world. But I could at least change the way I make decisions and figure out what's really influencing me on a personal level. One of the subjects that came up in the last Friday Forum was um, a very emotional one for people. Uh, and that's the subject of boycotting. And, 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 you know, I did want to, in this framing, revisit that from the standpoint of, I think that it's beautiful to see that what's happening in Gaza has activated the community in a way that everyone wants to do something. Everyone wants to do something. People are going out to not one protest, two protests, three protests, People are trying to actually call their local representatives. People are actually trying to change their habits. You know, uh, coffee habits are one of those really strong habits. You know, so if you're able to stop going to Starbucks or, or Dunkin' Donuts, you've achieved something great. So I hope that wasn't misunderstood last time. You know, so on a personal level, if one is able to change their personal habits and their lifestyle, then I think that's a very noble thing to choose to do. Now, of course, on a, 
on a, on a, on a higher level, having the discussion of what's the most effective route for us as a community and what really meaningfully creates change, that's a bigger discussion and I'm hoping that we could have that today bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Um, uh, you know, what I'm hoping that our discussion will incorporate is part, partially spiritual. All right, well, why? Why spiritual? Why incorporate the spiritual? Because that's what's making the biggest difference on the ground in Gaza. How can I reconstruct my mind and my soul in a way that enables me to deal with things in a more effective way in my life? They've been able to do it. They're not Sahaba. They're not companions. They're people just like you and I. In fact, they have so much more disadvantages in a worldly sense than all of us. We have so much opportunity, so much at our fingertips. How many times has life shown us that people are utterly capable, yet they're absolutely incapable? Utterly capable, but absolutely incapable. This is what I'm hoping will allow us to get past uh, these barriers from within that we have. What are those things that need to be in our mindset? So that's the framing for the discussion. I don't know if you have anything to add, Akhi Ibrahim. I'll pass it over to you. And then we'll add to that, inshallah. So when I sit down and I think about the people of Gaza, the number one thing that keeps coming to my mind is the word unmovable. Right? These are people that are actually unmovable. And then we look at our community and we say, how can we actually move to the path of becoming unmovable? And what does that word actually mean? Right? That means that everybody else has to account for you. How do we move our community into a space that the rest of the community actually has to account for us? And I think what's been going on historically um, within our community is after 9-11, we took a really defensive posture as a community and operated from this sense of who will quote-unquote accept us. Not actually accept us, but just not curse us out, I guess. Not say that they want to kill us. Um, and we kind of sought sanctuary with other people, not within ourselves. Right? And I think what's going on now and what the sheikh is saying, um, especially I think he's going to say, like all the khutb that the sheikh has given, all the mashaykh, mashallah, which is how do you kind of root this back into spirituality? Right, and if you actually want to think about being unmovable, the only way you can become unmovable is from inside. Right? It takes something inside of you to stand and not move when an army is advancing towards you. Right? It takes something inside of you to stand and not move when the whole culture is saying something against you. Right? And so I think that's part of what we want to explore here, inshallah. Absolutely, Jazakallah khair, Ibrahim. You know, and you know, to this point, you know, I, I really think that um, as a community, we need to do a lot of self-reflection. You know, uh, you know, our Dean teaches us in general in terms of actually building that spiritual might within. It starts from a place of reflection, by the way. You know, uh, there's actually something called what we call spiritually the spiritual awakening, liyakaba. You guys ever heard of that before? Any of you heard of this terminology before? Spiritual awakening, yaqava, uh, in the books of Tazkiyah. Where does it start from? Where does it start from? 
How does someone become spiritually awoke? What would you guys say? What's the starting point to this? What's step one? The self? Be more specific. I know it's the yaqadha, but how does the yaqadha happen? How does the spiritual awakening happen? Huh? Shock? Something shocks the heart. What shocks the heart? Death? You know what they say? They say that, look, there's something in the very beginning of the path, repentance is triggered within the persons. How does repentance triggered within me? Like, what makes me want to change my ways and turn back to Allah? What makes me want to do that? It starts off with me reflecting. Reflecting on what? I start reflecting on the greatness of Allah Azza wa Jalla and I realize, oh, Allah has done this for me and Allah has protected me from that and Allah has provided me with this and so on and so forth. And then I look within myself and oh my goodness, how did I waste my time? How could I do so much? Ya hasrata ala ma fi jambillah as the Quran says. How could I do so much to cross the boundaries with Allah? I've wasted days and hours. I've ruined relationships. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've done things I shouldn't have done. And once I reflect in this manner, it causes what in my heart? Nadam. Regret. And they say, Nadamu tawbah. Regret is the essence of repentance. Right? Now, where are we going with this, really? So, where should self-reflection lead us? I think that it should lead us to assess what are the contributing factors to our decision-making process as individuals and as a community. What are the contributing factors? I don't know if someone asked you that question, Ibrahim, what would you say? <coughs> what are the contributing factors to where to we are? To our decision-making process as a community. Well, what it, depends on the, it, it depends on the time frame, right? So let's talk about the present. What are the actual contributing factors to how we're making decisions today? Right? And this can go in a number of different perspectives. How has your life materially changed? Today, how does it look different today than it did two months ago? Right. Actually, ask yourself that question. In my daily, my daily routine, what am I doing differently today than I actually did two months ago? Right. Maybe you're not watching something on Netflix, but you're still using that time to consume other forms of media. Right. So actually think about it. What's actually changed? Are you waking up the same time? Are you doing everything exactly the same? Or is something actually changing? Or is now the stuff that you used to take pleasure in no longer pleasurable to you? Right? So now we, took it, look, we look at this as a community. Right? Our job is from a, taking a look at a community lens. <clears throat> Can we operate the same way that we've operated for the last 20 years? And I think the answer is overwhelmingly no. Right? And so... But it's also just to not be reactionary. We have to actually build out capacities as a community. We actually have to have a plan and things that we want to do. Right? So when we're sitting down with a quote-unquote power broker, what are, we, what, are, what are the things that we're actually asking for? Right? So one of the things as a community that we all recognize is that from a, just from an organizational standpoint, every Muslim organization is separate. They operate on their own, they do their own thing, they don't communicate, 
and sometimes they even compete with each other for no, for no real reason, right? And so as a community, there's been a large effort to put together a coalition of masajid. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw, there was a letter that went out a couple of weeks ago from the New Jersey Muslim Coalition, right? And one of the authors of the letter is Salah Mustafa, who's sitting in this room, right? And so this was an effort, and 67 masajid signed on to this letter. The second letter went out today, right? This one, the one that went out today was the state legislatures. But let's look at that number, 67 masajid. Who can guess how many Muslims that represents in the state of New Jersey? Taha. Just take a guess. You raised your hand. 5,000? Close, <laughs> but not really. How much? Add a few zeros. <laughs> okay, so there are estimates within the state of New Jersey of 350,000 Muslims in the state of New Jersey. That letter represents 250,000 of them. Okay? So now one piece of paper went out to all the federally elected officials that represented 250,000 people. Right, this is not an effort, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if this has been done within the last 20 years in that manner. And we're just talking about the state of New Jersey. Right? And so other states reached out to us and said, hey, can we take this letter and copy it for our state? I think we know of three states that did the same thing, right? It's beautiful. So <clears throat> when we're talking about actually building out capacities, now that's just one thing. Now what are the other things, and I think Sheikh Hussam was saying it, what are you doing, like the coffee thing? Let's, let's elevate the conversation a little bit, right? Because I think what's going on right now as, as, a, as a community, right now there's kind of like this, a lot of pent-up pent anxiety, a lot of pent-up anger and people are not sure what to do with it. And the only quote-unquote release we have is going to a protest, and that's it. But we don't feel that that's actually doing anything. So are there some practical steps that we can take as a community to actually start moving the needle? Don't think about hitting home runs, right? We're not going to get from here to the end of the, end of the game in one swing. That's not going to happen, right? These are going to be small, incremental hard changes that we have to make as a community, right? And as a community, we actually have to be prepared for that. We have to be prepared to get uncomfortable right now, right? Uncomfortable, and we have to put it on ourselves, not pressures from the outside. We have to start making ourselves uncomfortable. And that's the only way people are going to start taking us into account. You know, look, I, 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 you know, if you guys all think with us, this is a conversation, right? Um, uh, you know, I think that there are two sides to this conversation. There is the theory, the foundation, um, the foundations for change, and then the steps for change. I think that these beautiful examples that Akhi Ibrahim is mentioning are critical steps for change that our community is taking as a result of, um, you know, certain changes in our mindset, certain changes in our direction. As a commu our community has grown, you know, and you know, for him to say that we have this many uh, organizations signed on to one piece of paper shows us that the, 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 the da'wah in our area has progressed greatly since 9-11 happened. Greatly since pre-9-11 as well. To see that da'wah has been institutionalized in this way, it shows us that the future is actually very, very bright. 
It needs to be on solid foundations. You mentioned some of the things that are the sources of our decision making. You know, and you know, the ones that I have in mind, just to add to that, are our consumption. I'll give you an example. Say if someone's nonstop, all, the only thing they do all day in all their free time is watch Fox News or CNN, two sides of the same coin, and all they do is just consume, consume, consume. What type of mindset is that going to create? What type of you know, attitude towards reality is that going to create? When my entire consumption is coming from this very toxic outlook, uh, outlet that spews a lot of lies and distorts truths. It's not only Fox or CNN. There's many other things like that. Consumption really shapes our mindset. What am I consuming and how am I consuming it? That's a big theoretical foundation that we need to have in mind. Why is this so critical to answer? So what am I consuming as an individual? It's going to affect my mood. You better believe it. You know, even when it comes to entertainment, what, what am I indulging in? You know, they say that one of those critical things like, if, if the type of entertainment you're always indulging in is very dark, like you're that type of person who loves horror movies and scary things, it's going to make your heart dark as well too. It's going to have this effect on the soul. Absolutely, what I indulge in affects me as a person. My mindset, that's a third thing, consumption, my indulgence, my mindset also affects. What do you think? Let me ask you guys this question. I, you know, uh, what do you think has contributed? So one of the things, you mentioned one thing. You know, what do you think has contributed to the development of the Muslim mindset today? How would you guys answer that question? Anyone have any thoughts? What would you put into this? What would you put into this? What has contributed to the development of mindset from Muslims today? What do you think? Huh? Whoa, social media? Oh, absolutely. Especially for the younger generation, right? Especially for the younger generation, social media is a new phenomenon. In 2006, that's when Facebook came about. Um, so it's a very new thing, and it's definitely affecting mindset. Absolutely. And there's actually studies on this, you know, by people who are, you know, specialists. What has social media done to people in their brains? The way they process things. The way they consume information, actually. So that, that's true. Social media. What else? What do you think has contributed to the Muslim mindset? Get more specific about the Muslim mindset. What has contributed? Huh? Well, I hope so. That, that would be good. <laughs> uh, we need more of that type of mind, uh, that more type of, more, more of that contributing to our mindset. I hope. I wish. That's the type of thing that created what we see in Gaza. Those, those people and their, their tawakkul and their trust in Allah Azza wa Jal and their, you know, their level of iman, of course it's coming from a powerful... That's where I want to get with the discussion. But we're not there yet. So I you think know. one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is why do I feel or think about certain things the way that I feel and think about them? Right? Why is it that I like this thing? Is it because the culture told me to like this thing? Or is it because Allah told me to like this thing? Yeah. Or is this, where is it actually coming from, right? Like, we actually have to examine what we, our, our actual values, right? Where, does, where do our values come from? And is it coming from what we're consuming? Because I think that's what happens a lot of times. We actually take what we consume 
and we create these narratives for who we are as individuals and try to make decisions to fulfill the narrative rather than saying this is what Allah wants me to be or this is what I am and these are the values that Allah told me are important to me and actually instilled inside of me right so as a community now and the same thing by the way same thing you do for yourself we do as a community what were what are the values as a community that were important to us and number one was not make waves not make waves right it's actually better for us not to be seen than to actually stand up against the culture right and that so why is the, here this is the thing like where what's contributing to this attitude i don't want to be seen there was a period in time where people were afraid to pay and now it's becoming so much more public not everyone's like this but i'm saying many people i'm, I'm even afraid to ask my employer for a day off from Jumu'ah. i don't want to ask what is he going to think of me How, you know maybe they won't keep me in the job i'm afraid i don't want them i don't want anyone at school to find out i'm a muslim when the subject's brought up, I will try to change it very quickly. But a lot of Muslims suffer from this. Not everyone. Some people are trained to be outspoken, which is amazing. It's, 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 it's not the norm, though. You know, what's contributing to this mindset? There's a sense of trauma, right? You know, well, you know, I, I was in school when 9-11 happened. My name's Osama. I'm Palestinian, right? Uh, I was called Sandrat, you know? I was called, he's your uncle. Go, he's hiding in some cave. I was made fun of. Osama, yo, I'm not going to finish it. Right? So they used to make fun. Right? That creates some type of trauma. That's what happened. You know, for many Muslims, we had to deal with people's hijabs being pulled off. People being taken to, you know, prison for no reason. People interrogated at airports. What, you, what type of trauma do you think this, this creates within the Muslim mindset today? You know, I knew every single year, you know, uh, every single year as I go to Egypt and come back from Egypt and I, when I was studying in Egypt every single year I knew I was going to get stopped and it was either going to be two hours three hours four hours I'm going to be asked a whole bunch of different things and uh, and and, the, and I'm not I'm just one of millions who've had to deal with this type of thing what other type of generational trauma what do you think is happening in Palestine you know what do you think is happening in the rest of the Muslim that's that's where I want the discussion to go you know when we think of this at a bigger level you guys, you know, know the history of Istamar, right? The, the, you, you know, I know a lot of people here are younger. We have parents with us too here. Uh, you, know, you know that the Muslim world was colonized for many years, right? Everyone with me? Like, so, Palestine was colonized by who? By the British, right? Some other countries were colonized by the French. Some others by the Italians, right? And... And this reality left behind a certain mindset. I think all of this contributes to what you're saying, Akhi Ibrahim. Yeah. You know, when you think about, like, well, how many times has this happened? You know, you said something that was like sort of like blunt or brazen, and you say, someone hushes you and says, the ears have walls. Be careful what you say. You're going to be, t why? Why this, this cowering mindset? The biggest thing that happened to the Muslim mindset today was breaking down society, fragmentizing society to make people not able to function, right? Not able to fun not, not able to ask for their rights. I don't know if you have something to add to that. Uh, actually worried about the consequences of speaking the truth. But colonization is not just people who grew up in that. 
Yeah. Right? There are people in this room who grew up in this country who think with a colonized mindset. Right? And I'll give you a very basic example. Uh, even though I don't want to go down this road. But if you actually think about politics in this country, where does the power that a politician have, where does that actually derive from? The people. It derives from the citizenry. Same thing with the police. Where does the police's power derive from? From the super PACs. <laughs> not the police. But the, the, police is, the, yeah. the, but the police's power is actually derived from the citizenry. We as a citizenry afford them a right to <laughs> uphold the law. What was it? I said we wish politicians' power was from the people. <laughs> well, technically it's supposed to be. Technically it's supposed to be. As per the Constitution, be. right? <laughs> but we approach it from a different lens. We approach it as these people are in charge of us. Right? When in reality, you're in charge of them. You're the one who they work for you. They are actually supposed to be your quote-unquote representative. They are supposed to represent your interests. Right? Now, the American political system has a whole lot of other issues that have to be dealt with first and done before they actually represent your interests. Right? But that is the actual basis of this country. We have a representative uh, who will, is supposed to look out for our best interests. But we don't approach it that way. We approach it as somebody asking them for something. And if they give it to us, they're doing us a favor. That's the mentality we actually approach these conversations with. Can you, may you, please, right? Not telling them, I need this from you. And so now, how do we go from as, as a community now? Okay, now let's say we've actually freed our minds. We're no longer, no longer have that mindset. How do you actually take that next step? What do we do as a community now to go from please to do? Right? And, and that question is a challenging question because it makes you confront a lot of uncomfortable truths. Right? And one of those uncomfortable truths are we as a community are not united. Right now, we're in a unique situation where we are united. Okay, well, how do we maintain that unity? What happens when my own personal interests conflict with the community's best interests? Mm -hmm. What happens then? Right, it has to come back inside. Right? Something inside of me has to say, the community's interests are greater than my own individual interests, right? So. Absolutely. Zakallah khair, Ibrahim. You know, um, the last thing that you were mentioning about us not being together. Look, uh, I, you know, I think one of the things that we need to learn from this, what, what's happened in Gaza is breaking out of the isolationist mindset. You know, that's it. You know, enough's enough. You know, part of it was COVID effect, but the other part of it is individualism. You guys know what I mean when I say COVID effect? You know, I mean to say that um, you know, COVID, because it lasted a few years, created within us a mindset, you know what, we want to consume everything from a distance, right? Social distancing, one of those nice words that we learned, right? Uh, one of the words that, that I absolutely dread. <laughs> I want COVID to come back. I, there was no traffic. <laughs> I did not change one minute of my life. It was so. wonderful. If it comes back, I'll be really happy. If ever, <laughs> as long as everybody stays at home. <laughs> it's because you're an introvert, man. I am, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd be happy to because I'm an introvert too. But anyway, um, so the isolationist mindset. 
you know, I think, you know, the COVID effect created within us, well, you know what, I just could consume everything from far away. One click away. I got Zoom, I got YouTube, I got uh, whatever social media platform I'm going to consume stuff through. And I don't need to even move out of my, hey, you know what, on top of this, I don't even need to get out of my house to get food. I could order Uber, DoorDash, Mish'arifah, and it's going to come not just to my building, right to my doorstep, right there. I don't even need to move, you know, um, or, or just open the door and pull it in, but that's it, you know. But, you know, th- th- that's a, but then there's something else about individualism. And I think that's something that the lifestyle in our, um, in our country is based on, unfortunately. Uh, it, it creates this, like, mindset and this lifestyle where I need to work and I need to provide, I need to earn, I need to spend, I need to, I'm in this culture of buying and, you know, selling or consuming, I'm into the, making money just to consume, and what happens here is I become like, um, you know, um, I become like this human being who's running this endless circuit, and I'm never getting a chance to actually relax. How many of you guys have countries back home that you visit? Raise your hand. Anyone here have countries back home you visit? A bunch of you. Now, tell me if this is one thing that you like about back home. Well, if you, if you don't like back home, we're, it's a lost cause. But do you notice that when you go back home, that the pace of life is a lot slower than here? And that people just find so much time to socialize and interact with each other and have bonds and experience things? You guys notice that? It's so bizarre that here you make so much more money, yet you're so much more exhausted. And over there, life is so much slower. They're living on basic minimal means, or some, some of them are comfortable. But yet they see they're, you know, they're comfortable. They're, they, you know, they're living life. That's the human interaction. That's the effect of, you know, I, I, need, to, I, I, need, to, I need to talk to people. I need to, I need to bond you know, I, I need to grow as a community. You know, I, I'm hoping that's one of the things that we can learn from this. Breaking out of the isolationist mindset. I can't hack life by myself. Wallahi, life's not fun when I'm all alone. It's just not fun. It's, you know, I, the opportunity for growth will be so minimal. This is part of what the colonized mindset developed. It broke society apart. It put people in boxes and it divided. That's what it did. You're Egyptian, I'm Palestinian. Right? You're Syrian, I'm Pakistani. You're from here, I'm from there. But I'm going to break it down so that we don't feel like we have a shared cause and a shared pursuit. That's one thing. You know, the other thing is, you know, um, you know, again, going back to that mindset and what was developed within us, you know, it takes a lot to be able to break out of these influences that come from trauma. Right, even like our, you know, our parents. If your parents came from overseas, that mindset, the colonized mindset, is deeply there. It affect, it affected society. It affected the educational system. You know, one of the things about um, the source of knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. You know, propaganda that's shallow. What we see happening as one of the things I see happening in the issue right now with Israel and uh, Gaza. A propagandist can only do so much to spread and spew their lies. True knowledge, that's what liberates. How many of you guys were actually here for when Sheikh Qatanani was with us for the Friday Forum? You guys heard what happened there? One of the things that I noticed when he was talking 
is how there was such a great attempt to strip people of their dignity, making people walk naked, hitting them in the face, uh, putting them to the ground, stripping people of their... What happens when a human being doesn't have a sense of honor or dignity anymore? How is he going to operate? How is he going to operate? What is he going to do? One of the biggest sources of ruin for the Muslim Ummah is this mindset here. Operating without dignity. Where does honor come from? Who actually gives us our honor? Uh, of course. Like this if you're going to strip honor away, that means it should, it's already there, right? Of course. This is something that we're born with. So Allah gives us this honor, right? You can lose this honor in a couple of different ways. One, somebody strips it from you. Or two, you give it up yourself. Right? And so we actually have to ask ourselves, part of the reflection, what Shaykh Hussain was saying in the beginning, we actually have to reflect about this. Am I giving my own honor away? And if I am, what am I actually getting for it? Nothing. Right? I'm actually making myself lonely. Lowly. Uh, I met a young lady about one month ago after the events of Gaza started. She is a convert and just decided two or three months ago to put her hijab on. SubhanAllah. Like, just decided. And SubhanAllah, I asked her, how do you feel? And she said, I'm scared. I'm scared somebody's going to try to pull it off of me. Right? And the only thing that went through my mind was, man, this is a really tough girl. Like, she's a really courageous and tough human being. Right? There's something inside of her that's unmovable. It's actually unmovable. Where she's saying the Muslim community, she's not saying, but the Muslim community is actually going through probably one of the biggest traumas since 9-11, and she just put her hijab on. And she's actually afraid. She's like, I'm afraid somebody's going to pull this thing off. But that's it. She planted her flag. She's not moving from it. It's hers. Right? And the community itself, we all have to actually figure out how do we plant our flag and stand next to it, come hell or high water. It actually doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what comes. Right? Once you plant that thing, you stand next to it, right? And Allah is the one who's giving it to us. He's saying, I'm giving you your honor. I'm giving you your dignity, right? Don't let somebody take it away from you. Don't give it away yourself, right? And the same thing on a communal level. We as a community should not be giving away our honor. We should not be giving away our dignity. And if they try to strip it from us, we should defend it. Absolutely. Zakla, I think that's a real, really, really good, powerful question, Akhi Ibrahim. Um, what gives us honor? You know, sometimes it's life experience that catapults you into position. It, you know, our experiences shape our, our personalities. You know, whatever we experience and how we react to that in life ends up creating who we become as people. You know, the people of Gaza were not born like that. You know, there was a certain contentious struggle that they had to go through to become who they became you know what what creates honor within people sometimes it's circumstances coming together how will you choose to operate 
You know, this happens at a molecular, at a, at a, at a minuscule level too, uh, at, a, at a micro level. It happens at a micro level. Now, you could look at this bigger picture, but when you look at it at a micro level, this is a, a lesson for every son or daughter. What, what gives you honor? Well, act honorably. You know, part of respecting your elders gives you a sense of honor. Part of respecting the Qur'an gives you honor. Part of respecting the masajid. Part of dealing with your responsibility in a noble way, that gives you honor. All of this gives you a sense of, you know, a, you know, a sense of a, a elevation spiritually. If you think about what gives you honor, you know, you know one of the things that hurt me most, um, I, I read it in the morning today in the news, you guys might have heard it, um, is, uh, Israel gave the green light for a certain amount of fuel to go into Gaza every two days. And one of the things that this Israeli um, minister or someone in the government was saying um, was in terms of water and sewage cleaning, that's not part of the deal except at a minimal level to avoid pandemic, to avoid people getting sick and disease spreading that's, what, that's the extent we're going to allow it. You know why this bothered me so You know why it bothered me so much? You know, we need Israel to give the green light so that all of those life-saving materials that have been gathered from all over the world that are just sitting there in Sinat right now could actually get into the people of Gaza. It's something so disgraceful. Wallahi, the history books are going to record this. That Muslims were just sitting there. Sometimes it's circumstance. Someone said it. Well, why not just challenge the authority of Israel? Not with any weaponry. Just let the trucks go in and see if they have the audacity to bomb it. Let them disgrace themselves in the global community. Just have the courage. Have the honor. You see people, you see people less than a few miles away dying to death. Because they don't have food. And you have tons of food in these trucks sitting there and you have to wait till your master gives you the green light and he al and you allows you to send it in. That is a disgraceful point for the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu today. It's one of the sad things. That's so, disgrace. How many people feel actually helpless about what's going on in Gaza? Raise your hand high so we can yeah, see. Raise your hand just so because. How many you feel helpless? Helpless. Like, okay. How many, how many people have gone to a protest? Raise your hand. Okay, good. How many people have. <laughs> how many people here have written your elected representatives? Okay, less hands, about 50% less. How many people here have met with your elected representative? No. How many people here have read a book about Gaza that you have not read before in the last month? Raise your hand so we can see it. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Good job. Good man. Okay. <clears throat> you are actually not helpless. All right. How many people here consume more than two hours of media a day? TV, internet, whatever it is, watching the news. Anyone who doesn't raise their hands is like living in a cave. Come on, you don't consume two hours? 
Two of hours? your phone or the TV? At least two hours. I'm saying at a minimum. The minimum two hours. More than two hours. If you say less than two hours, I want you to look at your screen time right now and tell me the truth. <laughs> I watch less than two hours. You watch less than two hours? Of news? Of no, course. of news or of... Or you're asking about news. I'm actually talking about the news. Just oh. news about Gaza. I don't oh. care about TV shows. I don't care about that. Oh, I'm okay. not talking about movies. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm saying two hours of news about Gaza. Be it on your phone, on the TV. I'm saying the news. That's all I'm asking about. No, no, yeah, news, reading, stuff like that. Yeah. All right, so about half of us, more than two hours a day about Gaza. Okay. What do you think, what would you like to do? If it was in, within your power, what would you be able to do? Because the sheikh said something really important right now. Keep the responses halal. Keep the responses. Actually, don't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> the sheikh said something really important, right? Not because I'm worried about your answers, because I want to monopolize the conversation. Okay, um, which was we have to wait for permission. We have to wait for permission for life-saving supplies. All right. So, how do we actually become the ones who give permission? How do we actually dictate now as a community? We're the ones who actually are the ones dictating with how things go. All right. And there are ways to achieve these things in this country, right? Protest is one thing. What does protest do? Protest allows people to see what the actual social mood of the people is, right? So right now the social mood of the people in many other countries is affecting policy. So that's one. Protest, okay, positive. Um, Speaking to your elected representatives. There's nobody in this room that's more cynical than me, and that is a guarantee. Not a single one of you is even remotely as cynical as I am. Okay? What I'm <laughs> going to tell you is this. The more you badger and annoy and pester an elected official, the better it is. The better it is. Don't forget where they derive their power from. They derive their power from you. They work for you. It is well within your rights to annoy the living crap out of them. And you should, on the phones, writing letters, tweeting at them, nonstop and incessantly. And you cannot be annoying. It's just not possible. Do you want to know why? Because in the actual stations, you are elevated above them. They work for you. You understand what I'm saying here? Right? This... Badger, they're human beings, by the way. These are not like these huge, sophisticated, super smart people. They're normal human beings who happen to be popular in a, in a popularity contest. And they won, right? Annoy the crap out of them. Guess what? When you have somebody annoying you, nonstop, who has kids? Kids. You know what I'm talking about, right? Bubba, can I watch? 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 <laughs> Until Khalas, just get away from me. Go watch. Just get lost, right? They want to do the same thing. Right? That's how you have to treat these people. So now as a community, how do we build our capacity as a community to actually do this at a communal level where it makes a difference to them? Right? If every single day, 100 people called 
10 times. That is, a that is a thousand phone calls that they're just like, holy crap, just go away. I'll give you whatever you want, just get out of here, right? That is one way to affect change. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to do it. Number one, you're going to burn off a lot of energy, all right? Yell at them, don't yell at your TV because they can change policy. Yelling at your TV doesn't do anything. Right? Yelling at your phone doesn't do anything. We're watching the same thing over and over, and we know the story. I guarantee you can watch five minutes of TV and read five minutes of headlines, not even the articles, and know exactly what's going on, all the details. You don't need, like, you don't need to sit in front. Nothing new is going to happen. The body count is going to keep going up. Right? And when a ceasefire happens, the whole world's going to find out right away at the same time. So you don't have to wait for it. It'll come, the news will come to you. So you want to burn off some of this energy, Badger these people. Don't call them. Don't be nice. Badger them. Annoy them. And get a friend to do it with you. And do it. And write them. These things matter. So right now, within... Um, I think they're going to be putting out very soon um, something within New the state of New Jersey, right, to call for a ceasefire. Just the state assembly. Even though the state assembly can't actually do anything. But the fact that this is going to go out is important. Right? I can tell you for a fact, not a single congressperson um, or senator in the left-leaning party is going to say one word, or is going to say the word ceasefire until the president does. Right? And he's not ready yet. All right? So, and those are our elected officials. You should call them and insist. Right? We, as a community now, how do you build, we need to build this capacity up. Right? And the way you build this capacity up is from the ground up. Who, who would like to, I think every single person in this room would like to do something constructive that can actually affect policy. Fadamo. I agree. If you don't know, let me know. There's an awesome website. It's called Google.com, I believe. Um, <laughs> you can actually put in the, your information, and it will give you all of the details. You can, there's a, you can write congressional maps, right? Now, these are real things that you can do, and believe me, this is not a waste of time. Um, anyway. Look, I want to answer the same question, though. You know, look, I think there's... Look... Uh, everyone here, there's two sides to tackle here. So, because look, we might go down this path of actually trying to call our elected officials and um, go out to the protests, do whatever we can in terms of alam al asbab and the world of the means. And we still might find that it's going to take time to change reality. It will. This is not a short-term thing. It's a very long... Don't, don't keep your mind on the short-term. Yeah. It is a long-term struggle. So how can I ground myself from within to actually remove feelings of helplessness? Because where should I get my cue from my, from my emotions, my feelings? It shouldn't be coming from um, 
Jumhuriyat Misr al-Arabiya. It shouldn't be coming from what this president or that president is doing. Uh, that's not should what... <laughs> it should not be from um, what any individual is doing. Look, if you look at the Prophet Sallallahu life, the Prophet Sallallahu hardly ever had the upper hand in terms of alam al-asbab. In terms of the world of means, he never had more than his adversaries and antagonists until you're talking about the very end of his life. In fact, most of his life, Muslims were at a disadvantage. Even if you look later on in his life, most of his life as a prophet, وسلم, uh, even when you look at the sixth year after Hijrah, that's when Hudaybiyah was signed. The Treaty of Hudaybiyah put the Muslims at such a big disadvantage. It was only the last few years of the Prophet Sallallahu life when Islam spread like wildfire. Right? Am al-Wufud and the year of the caravans and everyone coming to announce their Islam and Islam going into um, uh, greater Syria and Asham. And they say, you know, this is, this is not something that happened quickly. Right? The, the, you know, so what, I'm, what am I trying to say here? Did the Prophet Sallallahu feel helpless? No one would dare say that. Why didn't he feel helpless? What did he ground himself? You know, right now, the worst thing for the people of Gaza right now is to feel helpless. They don't feel helpless. They actually feel very capable. Yeah, they'll cry because they're human beings. Yeah, they'll feel overwhelmed. You know, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll cry out and scream to the world for help. But it's not because they're, they're, they, they have ajz. No, no, helplessness. This is a mindset. This is something, you know, I need to remove this feeling from within me. Regardless of what's going on on the outside, I can never allow myself to be a person of ajz and helplessness. No. When it comes to a spiritual realm and how to address this spiritually, brothers and sisters, I can't be distracted in the short term. You know what would inspire me? If I see Gaza as one of the milestones in the growth of the ummah. Right? I'm doing something for the ummah, you're doing something for the ummah. The ummah is experiencing real change. It's not happening as fast as you want. It's generational. It's been going on for the past few decades. But guess what? When you see the storyline, when you zoom out and see the bigger storyline, you will see that there is something really, really inspiring and significant happening. You need to zoom out. Whenever you zoom in, you're going to feel helpless. You zoom out, you see something. You see al-hikmah al-ilahiyah. Wa-tadbir al-ilahi. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly brings change to people in society. That's what you'll see. Wallahu alam. I think though, to your point, we have to actually understand that the results are not in our hands. Right? Know that this is a long process. And don't expect the result. The results are in the hands of Allah. Our responsibility is the actual effort. That's all our responsibility is. Our responsibility is to do. Our responsibility is to struggle. That's all Allah asks for us, from us. Right? Stopping a war in Gaza is not our responsibility to get that result. Our responsibility is to do everything we can to try to get that result. At the end of the day, we cannot do anything about the outcome. The outcome is not in my hands, not in your hands. It is only in Allah's hands. And it is Allah's wisdom as to when things happen and why they happen. That's not for us to decide. Right? Once you actually internalize that and understand it, it actually frees your mind a lot. 
right? When you realize I'm not going to change the outcome by myself or I'm not responsible for how it comes out. The only thing you're responsible for is to actually struggle and to put the effort in. And once you realize that, that actually takes so much kind of mental angst away from you where you know, okay, I can focus on this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing, and I leave the rest up to Allah, right? When, when Sheikh mentioned at the beginning, like the people of Gaza are showing us how tawakkul ala Allah. We are leaving it up to Allah. It is in His hands. We are trusting in Allah. Uh, do we have questions that are coming in? You want to share some of them? Um, so building off of what we were just talking about and, and having that roadmap, um, after so many weeks of consuming and seeing and trying and working and yelling, um, how do we keep the momentum and avoid that normalization? So, uh, you know, I, I'll start addressing it. Look, I, I think, um, how do you keep the momentum? Well, that's exactly what we're talking to right now. When I start dealing with this from a very deeply spiritual position, uh, it'll give me a power source and a strength. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just cliche, by the way. You know, there was this divine element in the Prophet Sallallahu da'wah. There was this time in which the Prophet Sallallahu needed to endure patiently. The companions needed to endure patiently too, and they did this to the highest degree. It was a very blessed da'wah, very blessed da'wah of the Prophet Sallallahu I need those blessings. You know, I need that in my life. You know, if my life is scarce of blessings, then guess what? It'll be so difficult to live. You know, it, you know, ajz and helplessness is a function of the heart. There are things in the heart that contribute to it. You know, how can you avoid normalization? Well, you know, I think this is a very deeply spiritual uh, disposition. I need to constantly, I, I, need to, I need to really build out within me the infrastructure that's needed for me to deal with very difficult situations. Part of that is in here, brothers and sisters. Part of it's in here, in the mind. I need to build out the mind. Again, you know, when we talk about colonizers and what they did, one of the things they attacked was the minds of society. They ruined the educational system. They allowed ignorance to spread. You know, and when ignorance spreads, by the way, people are not going to be thinking about the well-being of society. They're not going to be thinking about politics. They're going to be thinking about Al-Ghif Al-Ish, right? Ish, and that's it. Inshallah, you throw them all in prison and you kill them all. Just give me my piece of bread and I'm good, right? Al-Ghif Al-Ish. That's what the Arab Spring uh, taught us, right? That's what society is built on. So I need to build out the mind. The mind plays a critical role in understanding here. The, the deeper my understanding of the true dynamics that are at play, the the more nuanced my outlook will be, right? Well, so I think that's just one part of it. There's other parts of it, but that's part of the answer. So to the question of how do you keep momentum going? Well, first you have to realize that at a certain point, this is going to suck, right? <laughs> it's not going to be popular anymore to go protest, right? The noise around it is going to come down. Right? There's going to be an actual grind. The actual work is going to be hard. 
it's going to be uncelebrated, right? It's not going to be glamorous. I'm going to say, I guess I told you guys before, I'm probably the most cynical person here, right? Right now, protests are glamorous things. I know that's not why people are going to them. But what happens when this is not cool anymore, so to speak? When it actually gets hard? That's how you keep momentum going, by realizing this is actually going to happen. And at a certain point, I'm going to have to make an exerted effort to do what I'm doing now easily, right? That's the only way you keep momentum going, by noticing that things, the gears are going to grind to a halt at a certain point. And how do you fight through and keep pushing through to keep the gears rolling? That's the only way you keep momentum going. So I'll just say that the, the, top, um, the top comment, and there's some other comments about where you can find the information about your representatives. You can look that up on Google, of course. There's other websites that will tell you who your Congress members are. Um, there's a lot of resources, by the way, where you can just simply put in a text message and it'll send you everything. There's websites now where it will literally send the email for you. You just put in your information. It'll automatically populate the email. It takes 30 seconds, and that's not an exaggeration. One of the links on the Gaza Action List also has that information. I was very impressed with it. Alhamdulillah, now that we're, we're a community that's been here for a very long time, um, there are people that have graduated from schools here who can play with the code and, and even the playing field since everything's on the internet now. Uh, Alhamdulillah. So it's, it now is a time where we're very powerful um, and we need to capitalize on that momentum. Um, the next question is a little bit more um, of a spiritual question. Um, some people who are confronted by biggest Zionists, etc., are calm, cool, collected. Um, I'm emotionally charged, and I can see it getting physical. What does this mean? And maybe what advice would you have for this person? Jazakallah khair. Um, so look, you know, I, I, I really want to go back to that point about knowledge and information. Um, I, you know, I think that um, one of the things that knowledge does for a person is it grounds them. You know, um, and what do I mean it grounds them? You know, they say that um, uh, jahil, what's the essence of jahil, ignorance? It's khiffatun fil aql. It's a sense of um, shallowness, emptiness uh, in the way that the person processes things, understands things. When I have a deep sense of awareness about the true state of affairs, it will give me the weapons that I need to disprove and dismantle any of these Zionist arguments uh, and the way that they're being presented. I won't need to shout. I won't need to get emotional and worked up. In fact, you know, we learned this from our predecessors. Look at Imam Shafi'i. Look at Imam Shafi'i. He's a very, he was a powerhouse when it comes to knowledge. You know, he said, I've never debated anyone except that I was able to defeat them, except one type of person, the ignorant person. Can't defeat the ignorant person. Whenever it becomes a shouting match, or when someone's calling you to a shouting match, uh, or a, a, um, you know, um, when someone's calling you from a space of emotion, it's not even worth sometimes engaging that type of person, because that'll drag you down, bring you down. But in terms of being able to prove your point, if I actually have the information, the knowledge, that will actually enable me to outdo whatever they're presenting, Again, knowledge is more powerful than propaganda. 
We have so many sources to tap into, you know, uh, in terms of the books that are out there about Palestine, in terms of non-Islamic perspectives to the issue, right? We need to learn about this. What does Noam Chomsky say about Israel and about the Palestinian struggle? What does Norman Finkelstein say about it? Um, uh, these are Jewish voices of reason that have said some brilliant things that could really, really uh, change the dynamic in an argue with a Zionist, you know, an argument with a Zionist. That's, these are things I need to tap into. You know, what does Amnesty International and its reports say about Palestine and the genocide that's happening there? What is Amnesty This is a non-Muslim entity, agency, uh, that has produced so much, so many reports about Palestine. So maybe I need to learn about this and take some time, invest some time into that. Because again, knowledge outdoes propaganda. Anyone who calls you to be in a shouting match with them, don't even answer the call. This might happen in protests. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time shouting back at someone on the other side. No. Invest your time in actually getting the information and the awareness out there that people need to finally open their eyes. That's what I think that's meaningful. And I'll just reiterate something that we've, we've been saying. I think in our own personal experiences, a lot of people are very lost. A lot of people just don't know. Um, you know, I work in construction. I meet a lot of people who you'd think are, are absorbing Fox News every day. Um, and they themselves are saying, well, this doesn't make sense. I don't believe this. Um, so all it takes is just one conversation. You know, when we think of Omar al-Khattab, we think of all these great giants. All it took was one conversation. Um, and, and it completely flipped the script. Um, moving past that, inshallah, <clears throat> uh, what du'as can I make when I'm losing my job? Uh, what are things I can do uh, with people getting fired for speaking about Palestine? Um, so, of course, also on the action list, we have a CARE incident report link. You can report these incidents. They, they will assign an attorney for you. Um, and, and Ibrahim can probably answer that better than I can. Um, so, go ahead. All right, so the best thing to do in these kind of scenarios is actually report them. Um, I think our community historically underreports hate crimes or anything that happens negative against us. And this is one of them. If you actually get fired from your job for speaking about Palestine, you should let somebody know. If you don't know who to let know, let the masjid know. Uh, there's organizations like CARE that will be more than happy to help out with those scenarios, especially if you lost your job. Um, they don't charge, they offer a really great community service. Um, and there's other organizations like that. Uh, well, alhamdulillah, the masjid has access to a lot of really sophisticated and really high-end resources, especially when it comes to the legal world. Um, so the people advising the masjid now are uh, constitutional scholars and really sophisticated people. Um, so what we're doing as an institution is kind of building up our capacity as well. All right? <clears throat> and part of that is making sure that we have the best people advising the masajid, making sure that we have the best people available as resources for when we need them. Right? And a really interesting example of this is there was a media outlet um, that wanted to conduct an interview. And the conversation that happened with them actually changed the context. We were able to change the contextualization of the actual article, right? Um, and so this is not a small thing to happen. 
so there's a, we, we're trying as best as we can to fortify the community with the best resources available. Best thing for you to do, if you don't know what to do, ask us. If we don't know what to do, we'll point you in the right direction. Um, and we'll continue looking even if we don't know what to do to find the best resources for you guys. Uh, do you want to take a direct question? Does anyone have any, uh, any questions uh, directly from the crowd? Okay. There are some questions regarding boycotting. I know we spoke about this a little bit last week, um, but I think it's even more relevant this week. Yeah. You know, is boycotting necessary? What are the rules? Who should we boycott versus not boycott? If they're neutral or pro or against, how do we know? Yeah, so I just want to reiterate, uh, for those who weren't in the beginning, like uh, I think one of the good things um, that is uh, in this like phenomena of people you know, pushing to boycott is it shows that everyone wants to do something, that there's goodness in the hearts. And يعني, this is something that we need to hone and take advantage of. We need to keep this within us. I have this urgency. I want to do something. You know, and like I said, if someone's able to change their lifestyle and avoid certain things, I'm not going to buy this product, I'll buy that one instead. I'm not going to buy this one, I'll buy another one instead. I think that's a very virtuous thing for a personal choice. For a personal choice. Um, last week we were addressing it from the standpoint of what should we say is a mandate for people. That's a bigger discussion. Like, what should I say is a mandate? What do I mean when I say mandate? That when I say people have to do this, People can't do that. You know, I think when we're in the realm of personal choice, everyone has the liberty to make those very easily, the personal decisions. But when it comes to speaking from the standpoint of halal and haram and fatwa, uh, it becomes much more complicated because this is going to affect livelihood, it's going to affect uh, community um, and otherwise. So it becomes a much more complicated discussion. Um, in terms of effectivity, uh, the, the advice that many scholars and activists are giving is to focus, as Ustad Zaid said last week, on the uh, BDS website. It has singled out certain companies uh, as being those who are most culpable uh, with what's happening in Palestine uh, in terms of supporting Zionism and supporting Israel. So they've singled out, I think it was six companies uh, or something like that, uh, as ones that we should avoid so that we could cause maximum damage to what they're doing. Um, so th that's just my, you know, my perspective on it. Like I said, when it comes to realm of halal and haram, it becomes much more uh, complicated. It it's not a black and white thing. Like you have many Muslim owners of, of, of Dunkin' Donuts shops, like we said. You have thousands and thousands of Muslim employees at various companies that are pro-Zionist and... Um, you know, the question becomes, well, what's more effective and impactful? Uh, you know, avoiding entirely or pressuring to change, pressuring them to change their stances. And the second one has actually proven to be a possibility for people who are working within the system, Muslims who are working at these companies. Allahu alam. So I have a, a kind of different perspective when it comes to uh, the boycotting things. <clears throat> the boycott is, look, it's a personal decision for people, right? If you don't feel comfortable spending your dollar there, don't spend your dollar there. What I would advise 
from a community capacity building standpoint is what are the Muslim businesses I can support first? Forget about the boycotting, right? There's two things, two capacities we actually need to build. We need to organize people on one hand, and then on the other hand, we need to organize money, right? We actually, as a community, don't talk about how do we organize our money. And the simplest way to do that as a first initial step is to look for a Muslim-owned business. If the Muslim-owned business is not offering a good service, go to the next business. I'm not saying you can only spend your money with Muslim-owned businesses, but give them a shot, right? Make that the first option. If you actually imagine that all of the Muslims in New Jersey only spend their money on Mus with Muslim-owned businesses, guess what would happen? The quality of the services would go up. The quality of the goods would go up because there's a natural competition that's going to happen. Right? Unfortunately, we have bad reputations. Um, nobody wants to hire a Muslim contractor, except for Ibrahim Othman, of course. <laughs> um, and so, because they say, oh, they're not good and they're expensive and they're going to cheat us out of our money. Right? No, find a good, there's a, plenty of good, reputable Muslim contractors who do really, really good work. Right? Same thing with your accountant, same thing with your lawyer, same thing with your whatever the service you're looking for, restaurants doctor, right? You don't have to only eat the halal food, but make your first priority to spend your money at a Muslim-owned restaurant, right? If the community actually did this with intention, our money would actually be really powerful at that point. I can guarantee you the war on terror would end tomorrow if we only spent our money in Muslim-owned businesses. It's a guarantee. Do you know how much the halal industry is? In America, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. There is a reason why high fashion labels have quote-unquote modest clothing. There is a reason why Whole Foods has a huge halal um, product line. They don't advertise it as halal, but there is a monstrous halal product line in Whole Foods. Right? The big businesses actually know. There is a reason why in Walmart, probably not in New Jersey, but throughout the country, they have, they have halal chicken in many Walmarts. This is a multi-billion dollar industry that they every... They got them in New Jersey too. They have them in New Jersey? No. I don't go to Walmart, so I don't know. <laughs> You're part of the boycott, huh? No. Just <laughs> I just spend my money with the Muslim grocers that I know their names and they know my name, so yeah, I'd so rather buy my stuff from them. Um, uh, <laughs> but everybody realizes how powerful our dollar is except for us. So I would definitely encourage that. Forget If you don't want to boycott, don't boycott. But you can support other businesses. I can agree to that. Huh? I can agree to that. Uh, any, any last question or that's it? Um, I mean, maybe just final remarks. Uh, there was a question about, you know, we talked a little about short-term um, you know, goals or short-term actions. Uh, wrapping it all up, um, what are some longer-term visions that we should be looking towards? So that's another session. But yeah, that's another session. And look, I, I think it's, you know, I think one thing that we should keep in mind is this is a work in progress, right? It's a work in progress. No one has all the answers and no one knows what tomorrow holds. This, this, the timeline for this change for the Ummah can either uh, be expedited very quickly or it could last for many, many years. It could become much more difficult than Gaza. And we pray that that doesn't happen. We don't know what happens tomorrow. 
We absolutely don't know what happens tomorrow. But at least we know where our minds should be. Our minds need to be on, you know, actively looking for better, uh, for a better reality for ourselves and for our community and for the ummah. You know, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps us in doing that. From a practical perspective, uh, from a long-term vision perspective, we have to look at how to increase our capacity in those different areas that we spoke about. Um, and if people are interested, I would actually get involved. You know, let the masjid know. Let some of the other organ It doesn't have to be with the masjid. Find something you're interested in, contribute to it. Um, and building out those kind of longer-term capacities, because what's happening now and why we feel we're behind the eight ball is because we don't have these infrastructures built yet. We're kind of building on the fly as we're going, right? And we're trying to build something that's long-lasting, that's actually going to be here tomorrow and forever, hopefully, right? And so we have to work on these capacities, do the short-term stuff 100%, and if you're actually interested in the long-term stuff and you're ready for the grind, then let the message know. We have a lot of projects that we need help on. So that's it for me. Just a general note, guys. Uh, the Friday forum next Friday is going to be canceled because of uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, our next big event, as I said, is going to be uh, for the one-day intensive that we have over there. Fiqh 101, it basically goes over the foundations of Islamic law historically, and it answers a lot of questions in that regard. Join us if you can, inshallah. Zakum Allah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.